You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Proverbs chapter 9, we of course are studying the life of wisdom, which is a life of skill, lived according to God's law and dictates and uh, his wisdom for the world. Now, of course, we recognize that to truly tap into this beautiful life, uh, one of the necessary ingredients, of course, that initial ingredient in so many ways is reception of the message of the gospel. Without the fear of the Lord, there is no true application of this wisdom. This is not wisdom that is void of an interaction with God. It includes an interaction with God. And of course, we understand that an interaction with God truly in uh, our world is uh, requires the reception of the message of the cross of Christ. Now, before we get to chapter 10, where we will then go into a longer section with uh, lasting about 13 or 14 chapters with a multitude of unrelated Proverbs sort of stacked all together. Before we get to that portion of Proverbs, we have Proverbs chapter 9. And in Proverbs 9, wisdom is personified once again but so is folly. And both of them are preparing a feast, and both of them are inviting people to their feasts. So let's check this out. And really, it's appropriate because an organization in the Proverbs, but because before we get to the long lists of many Proverbs, there is this big invitation. You are invited. I am invited to receive the wisdom of God. And here is that invitation. Verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Now, in chapter 8, we saw wisdom involved in the cosmic level, helping God in the creation of the world, but now on a human level, creating a home and a party that we are invited to. Now, she has hewn, it says there in verse 1, her seven pillars. Uh, Seven is a sacred number of perfection, and so wisdom produces a perfect home or a perfect environment, and she slaughtered, verse 2, her beasts, which in a culture like that would be a rarity. Meat wasn't easily available, not that it was unheard of, but just not as easy to come by as in our modern culture with refrigeration. And uh, so she slaughtered her beast. This signifies a special moment. She mixed her wine. She set her table. She is sent out, verse 3, her young women to call the highest, from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So once again, uh, the invitation is given. Here the young women go out, and often in those days, two invitations were customarily sent, and an advance invitation and the day of notification. 
So this appears to be the day of notification. Come to the feast. And the requirement is you're simple and you lack sense. So in other words, you must be humble to admit this to even get the wisdom of God. So if you're humble, you get invited to the feast. She says, leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever, verse 7, corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So again, the invitation given. And as the invitation goes out, the concept is a scoffer will not be corrected. Uh, A scoffer will not be reproved. But a wise person is able to receive correction and uh, receive uh, reproof. The woman folly, verse 13, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So here, the uh, woman personified is folly. She acts very much like the adulterous woman that we saw in chapter 7. She's outwardly attractive. She is very forward. She also calls to the simple. But what she says is, stolen water is sweet. In other words, uh, shortcuts are sweet. She is readily available. She is constant and obvious. She is all around us. And everywhere we log in and look to, there is this simple wisdom or simple concept, which is not wisdom, folly that is being proposed to people. And so she says, stolen water uh, is opposed to protected wells and cistern. She's just a appealing to the base desires with man. Uh, But Solomon writes, at the end of her feast is actually death. Her guests are the depths of hell. She does not know that the dead are there. And the question, of course, before launching into the bulk of the book of Proverbs uh, from chapter 10 to the end of Proverbs, really, is the simple question, which party will you attend? So here we go. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1, begins really, as I mentioned, a long collection of sometimes and quite often, usually, unrelated proverbs uh, together. Each one of them really stands alone on its own two feet and is worthy of study. And so it begins in verse 1, and it says, The Proverbs of uh, Solomon. 
Now, one of the things to mention before moving into this section, because it's very different than where we've already gone so far in the book of Proverbs, one of the things to mention is that these Proverbs are a lifetime endeavor, not occasional success formulas. In other words, there will be certain Proverbs that as we go through them, you might say to yourself, hey, I tried that one time and I didn't see the result that Solomon is declaring. Or, hey, I saw a time that that wasn't the result. That didn't happen. Uh, But instead, what we want to have is not just a, I saw a time that didn't work. These are principles that are designed to govern our lives. So will there be exceptions to these rules? Absolutely. But in general, this is, these are laws that should govern uh, a human life. Really what we're building here is character, the life of the righteous person. It's very inward and of the heart rather than some simple external kind of reality. Now, again, these are Hebrew proverbs that are generalized statements about what is usually true in life. So we shouldn't treat them like promises in every instance of life, but a promise over the sum total of our lives. Like, for instance, Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times. Uh, However, I'm sure many of us have noticed or experienced times where we haven't been very loving to a friend of ours or vice versa. Or Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. Again, generally speaking, that is a law that governs mankind's interactions with one another. But even Jesus had soft answers that brought him crucifixion. Proverbs 11, verse 8 says, the righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. And that is true and happened to believers in the Old Testament like Mordecai or like Daniel, but millions of Christians and believers in the Old Testament era as well uh, test, who have been martyred testify to the fact that this, this statement isn't an absolute about life, that I will always be delivered from trouble. It's an ultimate reality of life that I will ultimately be delivered from ch- trouble. And generally speaking, to live a righteous life keeps you out of trouble, but to be wicked, you walk right into it. So it's important to remember that these are generalized statements that ought to govern uh, our Lives. So let's uh, get into them uh, together. Uh, Verse 1, the second part of it says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Now, sometimes in the Proverbs, there will be a contrast between the first part of the proverb and the second part of the proverb. Uh, But here, that's not what's happening. It's actually the same truth being repeated in two different ways so as to bring out the meaning. In other words, he's not saying, hey, if you're wise, your dad will be glad, but you know moms, they're okay even if you're foolish. Uh, No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that parents uh, grieve a child's folly and parents celebrate a child's wisdom. 
This isn't meant to contrast parents, but simply to say parents rise and fall with their children. So, you know, uh, basically what is being said here is the statement, uh, maybe you've heard someone say, I'm only as happy as my least happiest child. And that's kind of the concept here. You live a life of folly and your parents you know, there's sorrow in their hearts. You live a life of wisdom and it brings gladness into the hearts of your parents. And really, this is what good parents long for is for their children to discover and know the wisdom of God and the wisdom of Christ. Treasures, verse 2, gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. In other words, there are true riches. You know, here the wicked have actually gained treasures, he says. But Solomon announces, even though they've gained those treasures, they do not uh, profit because they can't really truly deliver you from death. Asaph, of course, went through a struggle like this in Psalm 73. He was envious of the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. He saw that they were always at ease and they increased in riches. And as he tried to figure out how to understand this, he said, I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. In other words, all of their Uh, wickedness and all of their profit could not deliver them in the last day from the hand of the Lord. Verse 3, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. You know, really what he's saying here is, at least in part, that a righteous life is a truly satisfying life. Uh, The righteous can actually be full of But God makes the wicked uh, crave. In other words, he brings an emptiness into their lives. He thwarts, he says, the craving of the wicked. So really only a, this is really only fulfilled in the cross of Christ for their believers will never hunger. So he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. He frustrates the appetites of the wicked. So we know that it's usually true that the godly do not starve and the wicked do not get all that they desire. But there really is something fulfilling about the righteous life. And so the encouragement for us is not to be swayed by what we see, but to be fulfilled by our relationship with the Lord. A slack hand, verse 4, causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Here again, Solomon compares the slack person with the diligent person. That word for diligent is variously translated as gold and a threshing sledge. I think because people who have diligence are worth their weight in gold and they're very sharp. And when you have a sharp instrument, what you're doing with that instrument is so much easier to accomplish. And so they're worth their weight in gold and they make life so much easier. Diligence in the dictionary means to be characterized by steady, earnest, and energetic effort. 
So in a world that we live in, to be a diligent person, uh, to really have focus in your life like Christ had, to let his spirit get inside of you and reorganize you, uh, re- uh, makes you into a person of extreme value uh, in this world. Uh, he says, the one who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but the one who sleeps and harvests, that's a son who brings shame. And there you have an example of actual diligence, gathering, working, and uh, you know, spending your energy wisely. Blessings, verse 6, are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Here, you might expect that the opposite of the blessings would be a curse. You know, that he would say, blessings are in the head of the righteous, but cursed is the mouth, or or, excuse me, cursed is the one or the wicked who conceals violence. But instead, he says, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So, instead of a curse there's violence. In other words, the righteous person gets blessings, the wicked person gets not curses, but violence. In other words, that is the curse. They become violent people as a result of that perpetual wickedness. Verse 7, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Okay, so for instance, uh, reading of the lives of the righteous uh, in the word of God brings encouragement, or in biographical form, it brings encouragement. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. It's a blessing to remember them, but he says the name of the wicked will rot. Remembering the wicked is a rotten experience. Now, there are some people whose wickedness means that they cannot be easily forgotten. That's the reality of life. And we know this in human history, certain names bringing negative connotations. But we also know this individually as human beings. There are certain people that when we remember them, there is a real mixed emotion that's there so often and a negative experience. And those harsher memories, it's like a rottenness that has been brought onto us as a result of the wickedness of these people. Fortunately, by the grace of God and the power of Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit, uh, we can have those memories and that rottenness dealt with by Jesus where we can overcome them as we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now in verse 8, he says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. So the wise person, they don't babble and keep speaking, but they actually receive. There's a receptivity, they listen, their ears are open, they're taking notes, they come to learn. But the fool is just babbling, they continue to speak. Now, that might mean that it comes out of their mouth or it might just be within the realm of their own mind that they are continually speaking. However, this is the way that it works. The fool comes to ruin partly as a result of not being able to listen because they're always speaking. Whoever, verse 9, walks in integrity, walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. In other words, there's just something so safe about walking in righteousness. You walk in integrity and you walk securely. 
you know, to have someone pick up your phone and start thumbing through your different apps and uh, various cor- correspondence and all of that, if you're walking in integrity, you're very secure in that moment. There's not a lot that you're worried about. And you're just, you know, hey, if people see me doing what I'm doing, I don't have a worry regarding secret sin because it isn't there. I'm walking in integrity. But a person who lives with crookedness, secret sin is eventually found out anyways, is what Solomon writes. His crooked ways will be found out. Jesus said concerning the Pharisees' hypocrisy in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Whoever, verse 10, winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. Again, this speaks of shifty, uh, knowing glances, probably indicating some kind of uh, signal to do some type of sin. So these are sinful intentions, the winking with the eye and the babbling Fool, And so in the New Testament, we learn that there is a gift of discerning of spirits or distinguishing of spirits. We also just need simple discernment to be able to figure out who is of legitimate intention and who is uh, less than savory around us. And so often good, righteous friendships and connections can help us make those determinations. The mouth, verse 11 of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. This is so beautiful because words are incredibly powerful. And a righteous person, their mouth, because their heart is pure and their heart is right before God, their mouth is actually a fountain of life. The righteous person has a good well to draw from. Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 to 3, that we should desire the spiritual gifts, especially, he says in verse 1, that you may prophesy. That doesn't mean that we're wanting to be able to predict the future, because he says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14, that the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And what a blessing it is when a person with a righteous heart becomes able to upbuild and encourage and console other believers. Uh, They become a fountain of life. Hatred, verse 12, stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, ultimately, love covering all offenses is fulfilled in the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, What's happening here is not a clunky excusing of sin. Well, they sinned against me, but I mean, I've got to be loving, so I guess I'll just get over it because love covers all offenses. No, there's still the process of going to someone and saying your offense and dealing with it one-on-one or one-on-two and then eventually with the church. Uh, He's not saying just be dismissive of sin, but he is highlighting discreet reconciliation. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verse 8. So we're not to broadcast the sin of individuals. 
On the lips, verse 13, of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The way the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So you're either going to have wisdom on the lips or a rod on the back. In other words, life is harder without wisdom, only driven by the hard circumstances of life. A rich man, verse 15, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, this is very realistic talk that I think the church needs to hear from King Solomon. He says, a rich man, his wealth, it's his strong city. It's a place of defense for him. If if catastrophe strikes, if emergency hits, well, his wealth can bail him out. But those who are poor, their poverty, he says, is their ruin. In other words, poverty uh, can lead to so much more pain. Uh, The Hebrew word here for poor is feeble or weak or helpless. And so often, people are born into a system or into a culture where they are simply steeped in poverty. And that poverty leads to their ruin, sometimes even leading to unsavory decisions, sinful decisions that they will give an account for, but that are brought on by their poverty. Compromises that they make that perhaps the wealthy would not have to make because they can fall back upon their wealth to bail them out of a situation. The wage of the righteous, verse 16, leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Here you have interesting opposites. The wicked to sin, or trouble, or more sin. The way of the righteous leads to life, but the gain of the wicked, well, it actually leads to more sin. Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also reap. Whoever, verse 17, heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. In other words, we want to live a life that is worth emulating. Like Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And remember that someone at all times is following you and me. The one who conceals, verse 18, hatred, has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. You know, when someone conceals hatred, it actually leads to lying lips, and it leads to, as he says, slander. Uh, The goal, of course, then, isn't to proclaim your hatred. You know, well, hey, I don't want to conceal hatred. I'll just let everybody know about it. No, that's not it. The goal is to have the blood of Jesus deal with the hatred so that you have a new heart before God and man. When When words, verse 19, are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. And so the restraining of our lips 
and really watching out for what we say. I think so many times the things that people say online are unnecessary and you can get yourself into a lot of trouble by refusing to restrain your lips. But speaking at the right moments is correct. But here, the prudent man actually restrains his lips. The blessing, verse 22, of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. In other words, he says, the Lord enriches. The Lord makes life rich. And the emphasis here is on God. It is God who is involved in our lives. It is God who prospers us. It is God who is caring for our lives. Doing wrong, verse 23, is like a joke to a fool. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. We've all seen people or perhaps have been in those moments where we've laughed at sin and thought of it as something to laugh about. But this is not just seen in juvenile ways, but even in our sophisticated ways as well. And the contrast or the emphasis here is a person is actually enjoying this sin. What the wicked dreads, verse 24, will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. So Solomon here is trying to convince the uninitiated that the long range, not the immediate, fruits of wisdom and folly should be kept in sight. Like vinegar, verse 26, to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Now, both of these elements, vinegar on in the mouth and smoke in the eyes, Solomon's saying, that's aggravating. And when you have a sluggard or an, uh, an employee who can't carry out their tasks, it is aggravating, Solomon announces. The fear of the Lord, verse 27, prolongs, prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. And so here we have what the fear of the Lord looks like. There's a reverence from God that leads to certainty, certainty. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Uh, It brings, uh, and the, the contrast is, with a short life, prolonged life versus a short life. Verse 28, a joyful hope versus a perishing expectation. Verse 29, a stronghold kind of life versus a destruction kind of life. And verse 30, a never removed life versus a I won't dwell in the land kind of life. The mouth, verse 31, of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. In other words, Solomon is saying, when your heart is right internally, you will bear the fruit of wonderful words. You'll bring forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue or the perverse heart cannot do it. The lips of the righteous know what's acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. We want to have Titus 2, 8, Sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And so, the life of wisdom. God bless you and amen. 
Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.